Now I'd like to share with you some of the ways of practicing that Utejaniya teaches. Just a little bit of background. Um, I had never been to Burma before last November, so it was my first trip. I'd been in Asia briefly, three months at an ashram in my early 20s in the north of India. And that's it. Never been to Asia otherwise. So that in itself was an adventure, I must tell you. And uh, I went for um, the month of November and into December. And um, partly it was challenging just because it isn't the West. It was very hot and very sweaty and smoky and noisy and dirty and full of flies and mosquitoes and all those sorts of regular challenges that happen. <coughs> and um, and I'd never been with a Burmese teacher before, here or there. So that was absolutely fascinating. Um, and I have been to retreats for years and years and years, and some very quiet, long, very sensitive experiences in retreats. And this retreat, Utejaniya doesn't require that people don't talk. Talk if you feel like talking, he says, but know why you're talking. And, uh, and don't just walk up and down a little narrow groove just because when you do your walking practice, decide where you want to walk and why you want to walk there and how you want to walk there so that you know for yourself what's helpful for you. But don't just do it because there's a form. He said, I don't believe in any kind of forms, just imposing forms. And so most people would wamble up and down the length of this six acre compound, sort of the main street in the middle of it, talking. And people were talking in the meditation hall sometimes and so on and so forth. So of course, when you're used to everything being very regulated and just so, it was like, sometimes some loudish conversations were going on in the meditation hall. <coughs> um, so it, it um, being there was challenging and changed some of my fond views of things. It's very interesting when that happens because it makes you think, why are these my fond views? Like, why do I believe this is important? You know, if this is different here, so on. It's very useful. Um, it was also very useful for me in that um, I was really uncomfortable to begin with and I was too hot. I wasn't sleeping. I didn't know how to keep the mosquitoes out from underneath my mosquito net. I seemed to trap them in there with me and it took a while before I knew how to, they weren't sort of very efficient cleaning supplies, how to clean all the bugs off from underneath my bed so that the cockroaches weren't running along over the net at night and so on and so forth. So there was plenty of this kind of thing. And uh, and for for a while, for the first week or so, especially with all the radios blaring from 4 a.m. until 2 a.m., constantly very loud, either musical singing, which is a matter of choice and taste, (coughs) um, or party political broadcast, basically the generals doing their political propaganda, rah-rah, or Buddhist chanting, coming blaring out one or the other or the other, full tilt, many hours a day. Not every day, but in the beginning was was noisier, etc. I spent this first week arranging, organizing, cleaning, figuring out the systems, and basically planning to leave. (laughs) <laughs> and I was um, I somewhat foolishly maybe was given a friend of mine lent to me a Lonely Planet Guide Burma when I went so I was part of my scheming to leave was reading about these other cooler cleaner places <laughs> in Burma that I could go I was thinking of other retreat centers which were maybe in the hills where it was quiet and 
the way I thought a retreat center should be run. Anyway, it wasn't until um, I was asked and able to answer the question, do you think it'd be possible to not sleep very well and to have a lot of smoke and to have dogs barking and radios blaring and mosquitoes and, and not so clean and smoke in the air and stinky open drains and be okay? That I was able to say to myself, duh, why did I come to Burma? Did I come to be comfortable? I live in the greatest comfort. I actually am interested in being free, not in being comfortable. And if I can be okay in the midst of this, I can definitely be okay anywhere. And so what is it stopping me being okay? It's not just the Lonely Planet Guide. And so I relaxed about the conditions. I also figured them out somewhat and learned my system and so on, enough for my own comfort. I got, I got somebody to buy Burmese tea, kind of sachets of powder, sort of like the sweepings of tea, not really leaves, and plus some kind of sweetener, plus some kind of non-dairy thing in a little sachet with hottish water at four o'clock in the afternoon. That helped me. Once I organized my little comforts, cleaned the bathrooms, cleaned off the bugs underneath my bed, learned about the mosquito nets, that all helped. But basically it was a change in my attitude to be able to just look and see the struggle that I was causing myself. Of course, it's not about what happens, it's about how we deal with it what we make of it, how we translate experience into whether it's okay or not, whether I'm okay or not. And of course, I was blaming all of the outer conditions, knowing full well, theoretically, but forgetting for the moment that my happiness wasn't actually dependent on them. And then I was able to uh, apply myself to his teachings. And then what I discovered was I did my usual form of practice. Well, my usual is a practice that I've been practicing for many years. And, uh, and I have done a fair amount of concentration practice, including a certain amount of jhana practice with the, the use of anapanasati. And, uh, and one retreat for a month with uh, jhana practice with um, metta jhanas. And, uh, and so I proceeded to attempt to do my normal concentration type of practice and um, was being asked by Utejaniya to notice my thinking process. Well, what was happening was my thinking process was no longer happening. It would happen and a thought would come and go very quickly because I was concentrated. And so uh, he would be asking, you know, to notice when a thought happens, why that thought happened and what happened to that thought and what the next thoughts were and so on, which I couldn't do because they disappeared too quickly until it was realized that I was becoming so concentrated that I couldn't actually uh, experience one's normal experience, one's normal process in the world, how somebody says something and it makes you feel like something and then you think certain thoughts. Because my mind was so quiet that that process was not cut short but it just the chain of events just is broken really fast and so it's like no 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 not so much concentration that's too intense less concentration so I was like less concentration I kind of thought concentration was and so less concentration Mm. what I learned was that I started looking at my level of concentration which I sort of just assumed before, not really examined. Now I was noticing how I liked it. 
and how I believed in it and how protected I felt by it and how the irritating music wasn't so irritating when I was very concentrated because I was screening it right out and how I could find that just the sensations of sweating and sweat dripping down my body were just interesting sensations rather than being problematic because my mind was able to be calm and um, I began to discover how protected I was when I was concentrated protected from the vagaries of thought and thought trains and opinions and it was actually a place to go as a refuge to, for the mind to be quiet and concentrated which I knew in theory but I hadn't realized quite how much I believed in plus I saw how I really liked knowing what I was doing and I really liked being able to concentrate because I knew I could because I had a lot and how that felt comforting and how I felt like um, secure because I knew what to do and um, that I was doing it okay and that it was working and it was measurable and I was therefore fine and that my identity was involved with doing something well and that felt good and all kinds of things about it that I had never really I had never questioned really we all know that we need a certain amount of concentration concentration um, the training of the mind to be steady rather than all over the place reacting thinking willy-nilly coming up with all kinds of responses and we're not at all in control of that we know we need to train the mind somewhat but a lot of us and I'm certainly one had spent many years developing concentration but just thinking a little bit more concentration just I'll just calm down a little bit more let me just stay a little bit longer with my breath and like making that the main feature. Utejaniya says this very interesting thing. I didn't hear him say this actually until I was with him for the second time just this last May. If concentration is worth a dollar, Vipassana is worth $10,000. That's his opinion of concentration. So concentration... Um, Concentration, actually, uh, one of the most important ways of thinking of it is um, it's steadying. But an important way is uh, uni unifying it so that our attention can be fully engaged with something rather than dispersed into 10,000 things all over the place. So it's a gathering together. I've said this, I don't know if you've heard me say this, but one of my images for getting the mind to be concentrated is like taking all the ingredients you're going to make into um, a loaf of bread, if anyone has ever made bread, and then kneading it. And when you knead and knead and knead, it's the actual work of concentrating the mind so that what happens after some time, you hold this lump of dough up and it doesn't all fall apart. If you, if you held a handful of the ingredients before you kneaded it, it would just be a bunch of scattered mess. But after it's kneaded, it holds itself together like it's one thing instead of many ingredients. That's what I think of as concentrating the mind, unifying the attention so that it's now a useful thing, something you can make something of, a tool that you can direct deliberately. But it doesn't mean just staying with one thing, staying on one task. That's a way of doing it just keep paying attention to the breath or just keep paying attention to the body or whatever the steps that's a way of developing con a concentrated mind but it isn't the only way and it's the way that a lot of us and I'm one 
have thought of concentration and particularly having done jhana practice which is concentration to the nth degree where you uh, become so aware of the one thing you're noticing the object of your concentration that you merge your consciousness with it there's absolutely no anything else in consciousness there's the the sense of I am looking at something I'm noticing something disappears to the point that there is just an, uh, an absorption it's called absorption that's what jhana practice means so that's like so one pointed it's just there is nothing but this one point um, concentration practice especially uh, the way Utejaniya teaches it is a consistency of awareness it's a, continu- a continuity of awareness and he uses often the word momentum the momentum that continues all the time from the moment you raise your head in the morning open your eyes till you fall asleep at night that you're consistently noticing what's going on that's what he calls a concentrated mind one that doesn't keep spaced, spacing out and forgetting and going into the past and the future but is constantly aware but not necessarily of just one thing it's the continuous awareness itself that he considers is the value of concentration we know that there's value in in uh, a jhana practice and the Buddha describes it and there's, there's a, a lot of benefit other, you know, there's the obvious benefit of training the mind so it becomes well behaved when we do concentration practice but there is um, a sense of deep nourishment that comes from a very quiet mind where there is such a the pleasure of the peace of a quiet mind really teaches us that other forms of pleasure aren't so pleasurable in comparison there's something so nourishing deeply to the cells when there's calm in the mind like that it's like delicious the downside of that of course is that you want it and that when you've encountered something that's lovely or you feel really good about it you want it back I don't know if it was to you or any of you in one of the times talking to you in the last few days but Steve Armstrong said this thing and I'll never forget it when he said it there's nothing like a good sitting talking about a day of practice or nothing like a good sitting to ruin your whole day because then it you know that's it's gone and then what and there's something wrong and you spend your entire time and Utejaniya says the same thing the seed of everything pleasant there's dukkha the seed of dukkha in it which of course is that then it's a standard a measure a thing to want to get to feel proud about or pleased about or grateful for or something that's a setup then to try and regain it or or to judge because it's not there or something it isn't just seen for itself it's seen we give it meaning and then add you know our expectation and so on and so forth <coughs> there are different techniques there are different objects to be aware to train the mind in concentration as I'm sure you know um, in our practice we generally will use the body or the specific part of the body breathing or um, loving kindness phrases as a co- for a concentration technique some people it's a, a, a casino an actual visual shape of some form um, all of praying is concentrating the mind mantras are concentrating the mind visualizations and so on and so forth many many different objects the Buddha taught 40 
that's just the Buddha, you know, and there's many other forms and so on. So it isn't actually about the, the, the method, it's the training of the mind, which is concentration. And what happens as the mind does become more malleable like bread dough, is it becomes more serene. Not just scattered, but there's a serenity and a, a, a gentleness that happens in the mind, and the roughness of an agitated mind is revealed as the mind gets more calm. So serenity con- um, practice is one of the words that's used a lot. Like calm water. One of the things that happens when the mind is concentrated is um, for the time that the mind is calm, serene, steady, stable, seemingly our own rather than someone else running it, (coughs) hindrances are at bay. We aren't then wanting something else. We aren't then resistant to what is. We aren't then agitated. We aren't then dull. We aren't doubting anything. We're just present, easy, fine, which again is a relief. I mean, it feels great to not be just beset by any of those hindrances. So there's a pleasure in concentrating the mind. The Buddha said, the absorption, meaning jhana practice, is blissful in the present and will result in bliss in the future. Absorption is peaceful, exquisite, the acquiring of serenity, the attainment of unity, and not kept in place by the fabrications of forceful restraint. So this is a piece about concentration, which in the earlier days of my practice was just mind-boggling to believe is true. I remember one of my teachers saying, concentration is relaxation. And to me, concentration was downright hard work. You know, grit your teeth and just like really nail yourself there, you know, stay, stay, stay. I remember one time walking, I practice quite a lot, if I can, at Gaia House, which is in England, because I like to have holidays in England. Um, And I remember walking up and down the hallway upstairs in this Gaia House, and having an image of my mind being like a flapping bird. There is this plastic bird on the end of a, it's like a, it's a plastic on the road, down the road here, right? And when it's really windy, it just looks exactly like that, this kind of crazy flapping thing. And my attempt is to like nail it down. And it just flaps and flaps and nail it down. And I remember seeing the efforting of trying to hold this mind that wanted to flap all over the place, hold it steady. And so initially there is a certain amount of work, but as it steadies, which it just does, you know, eventually gives up, slows down, less and less effort is required. And then it's more and more rest, resting in the present moment than trying to stay in the present moment. But that is a factor of time. But I remember thinking, God, wouldn't that be amazing to be relaxed? Some people can relax. Their con- the concentration is relaxing for them, and for some people it's work to bring the mind more present. But I remember discovering the pleasure of being able to relax more and more and basically trust that if I just stay here with some interest, my mind will calm down rather than that I must do it as a striving personality type A, you know, try to dominate myself. So... um, Well, those are some of the benefits of, of concentration. Um, and a couple of things that, for the sake of concentration, are one of the things that is taught by the Buddha, there are these two wings. There's so many ways of comparing how we 
how we see the teachings. But anyway, there are this particular way of saying two wings like of a bird. I'm on bird mode today. Um, one is shamatha practice or concentration and one is vipassana or insight practice. And we need them both. You cannot fly with only one wing. So if you just get concentrated, then you never actually see what's really going on. Of course, it's the seeing what's really going on that frees us. If you just look and see what's going on without a mind that's stable, it's going to react and get confused and not see clearly. So we need them both together. Um, some of the, just a couple of things to say more about concentration to develop it or to uh, enhance it or to nourish it is um, a happy heart. To feel content, to feel at ease, to feel good is really helpful. It's really hard to concentrate because you should or because, you know, when you're feeling like dutiful or any kind of judging or harshness, the mind does not want to do it. It really is much, it's happier to settle down when it's happy. And so it really is necessary to do whatever it takes to feel at ease, whether that's forgiveness or reflecting on the things which give you confidence and faith, refuges, taking is a nice thing to do, things like this. Um, I've done self-meta and then found my mind really, really calm and able to get very concentrated because my heart was at peace because I'd spent some time befriending myself, for instance. So gladdening the heart really supports a concentrated mind. Relaxation, as I just was saying. Um, Relaxation will only come when we trust. When we don't trust our practice, we think we have to do it. We think we have to run it and make it happen and we don't really trust it then. So we, we resort to willpower. When we trust that the mind actually does have the capacity to calm down, and if we're simply patient and over and over keep being curious, we find it doesn't have to be such a force and that it can relax. So confidence works with that for sure. Um, the key thing really for concentration is the continuity of being aware. Without any question of a doubt, in my mind, continuity is the key for concentration. It's like steady, steady, steady. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, keep being present, keep being interested. Just however simple it may be, whenever the mind says, oh God, I don't know what the point of this is, I don't know what's going on, keep going, keep going. And the, those moments when suddenly you realize I'm completely here, and I don't know what happened or what changed, but here I just fully engage. It's all those hours of continuously being, applying ourselves to mostly asking what's happening, what's happening, looking, being interested. Utejaniya says, um, a concentrated mind, it's, it isn't like a hundred yard dash, it's like a marathon. So it isn't like supreme effort, grit your teeth and really get it now. It's just gently that keep, keep going like you do when it's marathons, like that steadiness. So I really think concentration has that quality to steadying. My first teacher of a Vipassana teacher was Goenka and, uh, and he had a very deep, he has a very deep voice, an Indian accent. And he would say, booming in this deep voice, continuity is the secret of success. <laughs> you know how your early teachers, when you hear them enough, they just reverberate around and around in your brain. So I hear his voice, continuity is the secret of success. Um, but of course, concentration just by itself can 
split atoms, shatter glass, do extraordinary things. You know who David Blaine is? Of course, you know David Blaine, this extraordinary magician. He's, you know, I saw him not long ago, had a bunch of people out at some restaurant, standing around a table, holding hands, concentrating on the wine glass in the middle of the table. Everybody keep looking, keep looking, and everyone's looking, and suddenly it just shattered. Wines all over the table, stuff like that. Concentration can do extraordinary things, but that's not by itself what really is going to help us. <laughs> Clever, entertaining. <laughs> um, when it's, uh, you know, in the teachings of the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, right concentration is the last of these ones. What mean, and I don't really, I, I, I'm wary of the word right because it's so close to wrong and so ready for judgment and things, but um, wholesome or wise concentration, what this means in the Eightfold Path concentration is um, concentration with a Dharma view, with wholesome view, with not the ego view. doesn't just mean a concentrated mind. I want this, I'm going to shatter the wine glass. It is seeing the truth clearly with a concentrated mind, a steady mind. So it's uh, a wise concentrated mind, not just a concentrated mind, which brings us to why we need both of these two together, shamatha and a concentration. <clears throat> there are some traps in concentration and Buddha um, Utejaniya really does talk about these a lot and it was really quite interesting and so when you look at it when I've been looking at it I've really seen the limitations to some of this and I've told you some of it what I was seeing um, we uh, probably one of the biggest ones is that you get attached to it because it feels good and you like it and you think you're right in doing it. And so we don't question things when they feel good. We question things when they don't feel good. One of the motivations to practice is struggling because it makes us think, there's got to be some other way. But when things are going fine, we generally go, great. <laughs> I'm not going to ask any questions then. You know, so it's actually useful to query. So what, what's my relationship to concentration? That was really what was so revealing for me. Um, we, the thing about concentration also is that we, we, it's goal-oriented. I want a concentrated mind. I want my mind to stay on my breath. So it's like there's a striving. There's an, an intention about concentration, which Vipassana doesn't have. It's directed. It's... Um, target is the word that Utejani uses all the time um, there's a kind of closeness to it because what you're interested in is the thing you're paying attention to but then you're missing everything else for instance I was there practicing in the monastery walking up and down doing walking practice quietly silently noticing my body noticing the breeze noticing the stinky smell noticing the smoke noticing the movement of the cloth on my legs and all of the usual things that I'd noticed while doing walking practice diligently just being present, but because I was changing my practice to include my, my state of mind, which I had just let be in the background, I hadn't really given a lot of attention to because I was I'm very embodied and I was very able to do that, suddenly 
and remember the day this happened, loudly, there seemed to be a whole city going on inside my head. There was like a thousand thoughts going on, making a comment. I'd seen somebody wearing certain clothes. What did they think? I wonder if they knew that da-da-da. wonder what other people thought. It was actually a young American woman, and she wasn't wearing a bra, and she was wearing, and it was a monastery, and there were all these monks and nuns, and what would it be like for them? Suddenly, this whole other lot of dialogue going on in my brain showed up. Of course, it wasn't just beginning, it had been going along all the time. But I had been focusing on what I thought I should be focusing on. And I had been missing this whole massive amount of activity. And I remember going to Utejaniya saying like, I can't believe how much is going on in my mind. And he's like, well of course if you're alive, he's like nodding and smiling. There is a ton going on all the time in what we're thinking about. But we, by concentration, can tune it out, at very least tune it out. You know, if not block it out. <clears throat> um, it's measurable when you, you can see how you're doing. When people say I had a good sit, what they mean is my mind was somewhat concentrated and I could measure that and that felt okay. But when they, people come to talk to a teacher, you know, and in interviews, they generally don't say, you know, that was a, a completely lousy sit, my mind was all over the place. Well, even if they would say, if my mind was all over the place, they would judge that that was a bad sitting. Because we think it's good to be calm and serene and present. Which means we're not actually open to when it's not like that. Well, lots of the time it's not like that. And so we don't realize, we just assume something about this. Concentration means a certain thing, and, right? So it's dangerous. Vipassana, on the other hand, Vipassana is not excluding anything. It's inclusive of anything, everything, whatever. It's not targeting. It's not protected. You're open to whatever may happen, good, bad, or indifferent. So you begin to realize how nice it is to exclude the things you don't like and just focus on the things you do like. It's actually a protection. There's no protection with Vipassana. Um, it's completely open. As I shifted our attention today when I was talking about going to hearing, sounds are going to come, whatever they are. You're not able to exclude them. Vipassana is an openness in that way. Um, it's allowing whatever is happening. It's not controlling anything. It's not controlling your mind, not controlling... It's just available. It's actually very much more vulnerable. It's very much more stimulating. It's very interesting. Not the concentration isn't interesting, but it's interesting in that there's an awful lot going on, in fact, once we open our minds up to it, once we start tuning in. It's embarrassing sometimes. Um, it's busy. You cannot measure it in the same way you can if you have a standard of behavior like you do with, with the concentration. There's no standard. It's whatever's happening. And so um, you, can kind of, it can, you can feel confused. So we tend to go for the concentration because it's manageable, it's doable, it's recognizable, it's measurable, it's protective. You know, if we, we're such doers. It's a doing practice. Vipassana is a being practice. Here we are being present with whatever. There's a hanging on with concentration because you're deliberately holding, staying with, being with. Vipassana is letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. Whatever's here, whatever goes, things are just coming and going. There's no holding on at all. 
is really different. Narrow, narrow, narrow concentration, wide, 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 wide vipassana. Shamatha practice is uh, creative. You can sort of create what you want to pay attention to. Um, Vipassana practice is you're not doing anything about it. You're just recognizing what's already here. Shamatha practice is to have something happen. Vipassana practice is to investigate what is happening. Way more passive. Shamatha practice in a way is to get something. Serenity. Vipassana practice is to know what is. Very interesting when we look at it like this, and I hadn't looked at it in a critical way, what my practice was and what what was, was happening. When we do Vipassana practice with this open kind of a mind, without excluding anything, the danger, of course, is that the mind gets so stimulated that it can stimulate itself into lots of papancha, lots of thinking, lots of comments. This is the danger, which is why you can't just do vipassana without any kind of concentration. An untrained mind, is, it's very hard for it to stay present and not get caught into commentary when there's all the stimulus. So it's actually easier to do it when we go to a quiet place, you know, everything's taken care of, we go to a retreat center and so on and so forth, you don't have sort of random wildness, it's relatively, you know, controlled, they take away radios and they take away responsibilities and phones and all the rest of it, but to make it easier. <coughs> so it's challenging to do Vipassana without some kind of limits to what you're being aware of. But we have got, at least I must speak for myself, I have got over many years attached to a certain kind of experience to be able to be quiet with rather than be completely at ease with whatever is happening. And that was so, and for instance, here I was in, in this uncomfortable setup, struggling away. Even though I know perfectly well, it was sufficiently struggling and unpleasant that I was justifying all my escape planning. And actually, you know, <laughs> that's really missing the point. So, um, the, uh, shamatha practice can be, you're like, what am I looking at? I want to be looking at just this. Vipassana practice is like, what is here? What is there? It's just plain curious. It's not limited in any way. It's very interesting. When serenity, shamatha, concentration, these are all interchangeable words, by the way, of course you know, is developed, it leads to concentration and the liberation of the mind from emotional defilements. In other words, the hindrances are at bay. So um, it's protective in that way. When insight, vipassana, is developed, it leads to the higher wisdom of insight into the true nature of phenomena and permanently liberates the mind from ignorance. So, serenity practice, concentration practice, is temporarily helpful. 
but it isn't permanently helpful. What permanently helps us be free is to, is to see really clearly, of course, how everything works, the truth of everything. And not just everything works, it's actually how does our mind work. We see how phenomena happens and how our mind makes something of it. Makes problems of it, makes projects of it, makes desires and so on and so forth. So we know this to be so, but do you have a relationship with concentration and vipassana of $1 to $10,000? I had probably 50-50, or maybe even 60 on concentration, 40 on vipassana. Even though I know vipassana is what liberates, my work in my practice was about concentration. And it's not so, it's nothing like the same extent these days. It's easy for me to say that, though, because I've had many years of concentration, so my mind has been trained a lot. And so it doesn't get so lost in thought than it would if it hadn't. So who's to say how I would have done if I had never done any concentration practice? But we've all done some. I just think what I want to say is that don't spend your entire time trying to concentrate yourself in sitting. Allow yourself to trust that really what's interesting is to see what we turn our experiences into in the way of a project. In other words, let the experiences come. They are whatever they are, sounds, sights, thoughts, memories, reactions to things. Watch then what you do, because that is where you're caught or not caught. Even if you're temporarily not caught while getting serene, that actually isn't really freedom, it's just temporarily an escape which is valuable to a certain extent, especially if you're all stressed out, you know, life is difficult, you want to calm down, fair enough. Train yourself, fair enough. But generally, that's not actually going to serve us anything like seeing what am I turning this experience into? In other words, what's my reaction? What's my attitude in response to this situation? Any and every situation, tiny, brief, little. Then, more and more, the concentration the stabilizing, the momentum, does get established, but it isn't in choosing any one thing. The thing that you choose, and at least this is what Utejaniya teaches, is the watching of the attitude itself. So that what becomes really, really steady is, how's my attitude, how's my attitude, how's my attitude? It's for tuning into, is my attitude contracting around something, involved with something, turning something into a project, or is it open, relaxed, back, spacious, steady? Is it tangled up in involvement? He says, in, he says um, what gets involved with the things that happen to us is the defilements. The defilements are greed, hatred and delusion. The defilements are how the ego is turning, making life into a project making an experience into something that we have to get more of or less of, or struggle in that with, or explain away, or something. It's greed, hatred, and delusion that does that. When there is no ego manifesting, life is just flowing on, it's the river of life. And there's no project of it, just is what's happening, knowingly. So, where is your ego? Your ego is greed, hatred, and delusion. Your involvement, your manipulation, your struggle. Are you struggling in this moment or are you at peace in this moment? Is there space, ease, curiosity, a kind heart? Or is there some tension, some holding, some struggling? How do you experience that? What's happening right now?
And for me, this is, I know I've said to some of you this, I don't remember who on earth I've said what over the last couple of weeks, but um, there's a, I tune a lot into this feeling in this area of my chest. It's around my heart area, and I just, that's where I can most easily feel energetically if there's a contraction. If there's a contraction here, it's like, ugh. Oh, 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 want this, don't like this, struggle that. It's a kind of literally a physical tightening here. Some energy holding here. And what goes on when I watch is a bunch of thinking. Storytelling, commenting, explaining, and all the rest of that. But I can actually sense it physically, energetically in here. And so that's what I try and make my consistent practice. How's this? How's this? And I can do it through my thinking by noticing I'm thinking all these thoughts. But I can do it more, for me it's more accessible to actually know that I'm struggling. I use that word. Um, There's some kind of catch. I'm caught up. Or, and there's a sense of quiet in here, peacefulness, just open. This is interesting, this is what's happening. So for instance, were any of you here on Monday night? On Monday night I didn't know what on earth to say. Were you here, some of you? I was, you know, all these times I'm teaching you, each time I've got to give a Dharma talk, right? Well, sometimes you just can't come up with a Dharma talk. I can't. And I couldn't. And I tried really hard for like a day and a half. And I just did, I tried this topic, this topic. I couldn't. And I was sitting here thinking, you know, all these room full of people coming to listen to the Dharma and I don't know what to say. It's quite a setup to get quite freaked out. And I was sitting here being completely fine, thinking, I don't know what I'm going to say. So I'll talk about what the process is like sitting here not knowing what to say when everyone's expecting you to come up with some wise words. So I just talked my way through my process of being with it, which is actually really fascinating. And it's like, it doesn't actually matter, as Utejaniya says, it doesn't make any difference what the scenario is. Your work is, how are you with that? So here are mine is set up on a Monday night, which could have easily been thoroughly tense, intention. I don't know everybody here, you've come a long way to listen to me, you know. And, uh, and to just keep applying that inquiry, what's happening now, what's happening now, what's happening now. And it's when we know what's happening now, when we see contraction, it's going to relax. It's not going to relax when I can't see that I'm tense. That's for sure. It isn't necessarily going to completely relax just because I see it. But that's when I begin to have part of me not in it, and therefore not being led by it. That's how it can subside. And sometimes it poofs, and sometimes it just gradually subsides. That's not my business. The cultivating of serenity requires skill in steadying, composing, unifying the mind. The cultivating of insight of a pasana requires skill in observing, investigating, discerning. We need both. We need to strike a balance between steadying, calming, focusing on something to help us be calm, and being curious and open, investigating and wondering whatever is happening. So not too, not too open, not too closed, like the whole of practice. It's a middle, it's a balancing act, and only you in this moment know how is your inner state, how is your mind and heart now. Therefore, what do I need more of? Am I tight? Am I, getting, am I trying to protect myself? Am I all guarded, which is where we can use too much concentration practice? Or am I open and interested and curious? Or am I so open that I'm now getting reactive and I need to exclude a few things and calm down a bit? And that's a constant change. So we're always adjusting. 
So there isn't any right practice. There isn't any good way to do it. You can't have a good sitting or a bad sitting if you look at it like that. It's just what do you need now to help you be open, interested, in a kind, friendly, steady way. And that will change because everything is changing and all the, your chemistry is changing, your blood sugar levels are changing, your energy is changing, externals are changing, your moods are changing, suddenly you remember something and then you'll be in a whole other state, so now you need something different. And this is changing all the time. So it's totally, it's not ever static, ever. Well, another thing Utejaniya said, this is interesting, he says, um, when you do, if somebody does a lot of shamatha practice and just shamatha practice, concentration, concentration, he said, you are developing the becoming. And he says, and that's why, who's to say this? But anyway, he says, he, he's sort of half laughing and who knows. But the, what's described, at least in the Buddhist cosmology, the heavenly realms. The heavenly realms, one is said to be able to be in those heavenly realms for eons. He said, of course, you put so much energy into becoming calm and not doing harm because while you're being doing shamanic practice there's no um, hindrances at base you're not causing trouble at the time it's, a no, it's, a, it's not a bad thing to be doing but you can become 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 and then you can be in the heavenly realms for 500,000 years because you're developing that stability of goal of holding on Vipassana there's no developing anything letting go letting go letting go no you becoming anything no trying like that just what's this what's this and is there a response that's open and interested or is there a response that's now struggling? $10,000 worth over a dollar, he reckons. It's very, that's powerful. $10,000. Mm. Yeah, so to think in terms, watch your concentration practice when you're practicing. Are you wanting something? Almost always, it's just really, really a lot. <laughs> So see your attitude to your practice. What's your attitude to Vipassana? What's your attitude to concentration? Are you hanging on? Are you trying to get? Are you feeling good about? Are you identified with? Or are you just plain interested? Is this wholesome and healthy? Or is this looking good? Or doing well? Or like What's going on here? And see. Not, not to do it. But to really see clearly why you're doing what you're doing. Honestly, in each moment. He says, there isn't an it to get. It isn't calm mind. It's, it's be wanting to be liberated, to be free from any unnecessary anything. That isn't an it, it's an absence of it. We're seeing the struggle and releasing struggle. There's, that's it, there's nothing to get. Another thing he says, and this I, I think this is really precious, is um, he's quoting his teacher. His teacher is called Shui Umin, who died four years ago, <coughs> four and a half years ago. He says, Shui Umin would say, um, if you're able to describe something in the past, it's not happening, it's a concept. It's not real. So be careful how much you are trying to bring words around things which maybe to look good or to understand, but it's already it's sort of playing catch up. 
our real true experience is immediate it's fresh fresh right now if you think you know something you're actually already in the past it's like don't know what's happening right now if it's new it's a reality if it's old it's a concept he said it's really an interesting way to look at how our minds work we we latch on to what has been to make sense of it we need to do that to some degree but practice is immediate vipassana is so in this moment just now with i don't know actually what this is and at times we do and we make sense of things and then at other times we don't know it isn't to have to put words around it it's to be awake curious then there's this vitality and deliciousness about practice because it's fresh there's a lot of curiosity i think that's probably the biggest thing that i've enjoyed uh, meeting him is that stimulated huge curiosity in my in my practice what's going on for me which is that's everything if we're curious we're alive we're interested we're alert as soon as you think you know you've got it you get bored same old thing then you're lost in concept you're not actually awake and we're, the whole thing is to try and wake up okay i think that'll do does anybody have any questions please thank you for that talk and um the 10000 to 1 ratio <laughs> i I know there's some humor lurking there somewhere but um do you think that there's a bit of um hyperbole there for the purposes of kind of an antidote to if you will to the hazards and traps of too much shamatha Yes I do I think that's true I also think that um uh, I haven't asked this exactly but I think that um Uteshuniya was speaking to westerners and there is a tendency in westerners to strive whereas Asians apparently on the whole need a little more encouragement to work hard whereas we don't need that so much and so that there are some of us who have like taken it and got very grim plus also at these apparently different centers in Burma there will be people who have been to one center and who've decided actually that's not what they want they go to this center and the same and so there are we call them refugees from other centers at these at each center and the refugees that go to Uteshuniya are refugees from very intensive concentration type places who have gone because it is their pride and so they're like there were people there for instance a man who had been practicing with um a, I don't know if I'm being taped with even mention names but anyway I won't uh at a center for, and he had a headache for 12 years and so he had been practicing with Uteshuniya for 3 years and Uteshuniya was like no sitting walking practice lying down practice no sitting practice and watch your attitude watch your attitude and he now is walking up and down smiling and talking because he didn't have a headache that's just one example of many so a certain amount of what he's saying is in reaction to the overstraining that can go with concentration it isn't just as irrelevant as that yeah that that makes good sense we have examples of that here in california too i think and um yeah i was just thinking about the metaphor of a bird with a big wing on one side and a pin feather on the <laughs> <Yeah>. other <laughs> right. thank Not you flying right in circles yeah. <laughs>